Hey, this is Buzz Bishop in for Dan Murphy on this episode of the Don't Change Much podcast brought to you by the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Today, we're joined by two guests who've dedicated their careers to mental wellness, former all-star linebacker, two-time Grey Cup winner and mental health advocate Shay Emery, and Dr. Matthew Chow, a clinical specialist in mental health with a focus on children, youth, and families. We're tackling a subject today with a lot of positive momentum behind it and a lot of room left to grow. This episode is called Normalizing Conversations About Mental Well-Being. We'll talk about what motivates Shay and Dr. Chow to be outspoken advocates of mental health, break down the stigma and barriers that prevent men from addressing their mental health, and ultimately shine a spotlight on what happens when you choose to ask for help. It's a fascinating conversation, so let's get started. I guess Shay, we'll uh, we'll start with you on this. Let's let's go back to 2011. You're deep in your CFL season, and uh, and you you get a concussion that that ends that 2011 season. What happened with that? Well, that was my first concussion that brought me away from the game and made me realize that I wasn't a superhero. And after that point, I really needed to figure out what I was going to do next. Didn't have the answer to that question, so someone asked asked me the question and then basically I told him I like boats I like nature I want to give back to my community and so that's what I started doing I started talking uh, in the public school system within uh, the CFL the program was called together at school and I just felt I wasn't being authentic uh, with my story uh, and being transparent as I could be and so what I did was uh, start my own organization called wellmen which is a, a men's adventure club empowering men to find truth in their own story and, and really empower themselves through action, sports and activities and, and, you know, get around the bonfire and have conversations that really matter. So was it not being able to play every week and, and go to practice? Is that what, what really snapped for you? No, I have been dealing with, you know, deep bouts of depression and waves throughout my entire life and really masked them with the action with the busyness. And when all of that was taken away, I didn't have anything else to lean on when I wasn't playing football and I didn't have something else to do, right? I was needing to recover, wanting to get back onto the field. Uh, and, you know, the dark room, uh, the, the not don't read, don't watch TV, uh, don't grow really was what brought those depressive states of mind back uh, also, not having an identity as a football player, amongst other things, uh, you know, potentially not having that identity anymore. All of those things mixed into a really toxic stew, you know, add in, you know, hypermasculinity and don't talk about your feelings and all of those things. And it really wasn't a pleasant space to be in. Uh, and then I realized I needed to do something for myself, which then in turn led to wanting to offer that to other people as well. Uh, Matt, when uh, Shay talks about this hyper-masculinity, maybe you know, s- some people these days would call it toxic masculinity. How does that put up blocks for people wanting to get help? Well, it's, it's huge. Like, it's, it's everywhere. It permeates you know, a man's experience and, and just makes it so, so hard, so uphill to talk about feelings, to talk about you know, negative feelings in particular, to talk about vulnerability. Um, to reach out for for help because there's this sense that you know you're you're not good enough if you need help you're not strong enough you're not standing up for your community you're not providing 
And so, yeah, absolutely. This idea of mass, you know, toxic masculinity is a huge barrier for folks. Yeah, I like how you you're trying to to rebrand it, Shay, with with the work that you've done and the TED Talk that you've done. I had an opposite experience to toxic masculinity. Uh, you you went through football and you made it to the top of the mountain, right? You were a you were a pro athlete, so you had to deal with that. I was air quote locker room culture the entire way. In my youth, I got I got bullied at a, a hockey camp when I was thirteen. I was a pretty good goalie, you know. I played travel hockey. I was never going to make it anywhere but you know I, I it was good enough that that the kids had had a bit of an ego about it right and i got bullied hard at a summer camp once and and it just kind of it ended for me and i chose to do sports where i was on my own golf or wrestling and and the team aspect of it kind of went away and then i i became friends with with women my my peer groups through my adolescence and my 20s were mostly female so I find you struggling with the toxic masculinity pressure while being in it fascinating because I, I had the opposite experience. You know, I've re- I've really been struggling even with the articulation of toxicity within masculinity since that talk, which was in t- 2015. And so much change uh, since, you know, I started playing professional football in 2008. You know, you talk about all of the conversations that have happened in the public sphere with mental health and masculinity. And really where I've come to is like, I, I've, I really do abide by the rules of like, there's a necessity for alpha males. There's a necessity for hard work. There's a necessity for uh, conversations around what those men go through in those locker rooms, but also in their own homes. And this is where, you know, a lot of the times, uh, you know, we feel like we get, pushed to the side because, you know, the whole man up culture is also continuously present within anyone that is over the age of 30, right? We've, we've grown up with it. And, you know, Matt, like I, I also grew up in a military family, football coaches, fishermen, hunters, military men. And my job as a young man, I thought was to play football and to, you know, do a good job at that and make the family proud. And when I did that, and then I realized I'm kind of messed up and I got to, I need to talk to someone about it. Uh, I didn't feel empowered to go reach out to my father, my grandfather, my uncles, who are all great men, who are all open to conversations. So I internalized everything and, you know, that made it toxic, right? That, that's really where, you know, I think we're all kind of trying to fig- figure out this dichotomy. So Matt, why, why are conversations intimidating? Because Shay just says, you know, these people were open to conversations, but he felt, felt the pressure that he, that he couldn't crack that nut because everybody was supposed to be tough. I mean, we all seem to be suffering, but we're so intimidated to ask for help. We're not really socialized as guys to talk about these types of things. I feel like girls and women, as they're growing up, they're socialized to talk about their feelings. They're socialized to reach out for help. They're socialized to talk to counselors if they need help. Whereas guys, you know, and I'm generalizing a bit here, you know, we're not really trained to do that. That's not really been in our DNA until more recently. Um, You know, and so I was reflecting on, you know, my upbringing. You know, we didn't talk about mental health issues in my family. My dad was like hardcore, you know, he's in the infantry and then a combat engineer and he was an officer. And so we just didn't talk about that. But but it's funny because later in his life, he he told me about, you know, just how much of a profound mental health impact his service and the service of his colleagues had had on them. And then I realized, like, he always knew, actually, about mental health. And in a way, I think he was actually trying to protect me 
against, you know, some of those really, you know, horrific kind of service related type of things that happen, happen to folks in the, in, in the armed forces. You know, he, he recognized that I was, you know, going on in, in a different path, but it's, yeah, it's, you know, these issues have already always been there. Mental health issues have always been there. Substance use issues have always been there. We just didn't have a great language to talk about it. And we actually bullied people. You know, Buzz, yeah. you mentioned bullying that you experienced. I experienced that too. Um, and so as I, you know, grew up, I noticed that my circle of friends kind of changed and shifted over time to get away from the folks that are kind of bullying me for wanting to talk more about, about kind of touchy-feely stuff. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy to, to see that society's kind of starting to shift these days. You know, when I was involved in the dad blogging community, we did a lot of work about changing the attitudes of, of fatherhood. You know, let's get change tables in, in men's bathrooms. Uh, it's called parenting, not babysitting. And, uh, you know, uh, dads are parents, too. Why is why is everything around parenting have this female focus, right? And I feel like now that that generation of my colleagues who who worked on that were now into our late 40s and 50s, our kids, are, the struggle of raising young kids is gone. And now it's about rebranding what it's like to enter an age where uh, health issues creep up. Doctor's visits are more important because it's not just mental health. I think men are reluctant to get anything checked. I don't know if that was like that for you, Shay. Take a knock on the head and get back out on the field, right? 100%. And that shifted right in the middle of my career. You know, in 2011, that is when Junior Serao took his life. Rick Rippon was in that conversation. Dare Bugard, you know, uh, Wade Bela. There was there was a whole crew of people right. that were all kind of going through this whilst I'm in the midst of it. And I'd always remember, like, yeah, bell rung, all that, you know, all the verbiage. Uh, and I said, you know, I just was like, I took myself out. I was like, someone ain't right up there. You know, like I can continue to smash and hit, but like something happened on that, that play that, that isn't sitting well for me right now. Uh, you know, I walked away from the game at 28. I've had one surgery on my entire, my entire life. I was very fortunate to walk out with, you know, great knees, a good back, you know, solid elbows and shoulders. But what I've dealt with and the damage that I've done is because of the mass amount of heads, hits to the head that I've taken. I've taken, you know, I played in over 13,000 professional football plays. And my job was to essentially go smash the person in front of me. Uh, and I did it quite well. And, you know, I was taught, take this part of your helmet and put it on the guy's helmet right here. And I didn't know what I was doing when I came out of Vancouver College and I was playing football and quarterback and what have you. All of a sudden, the guy's like, take your helmet and ram it into that guy's chin. And I was like, all right, all right let's do that. And on. and uh, wow. So that's how I learned how to tackle, right? And uh, this is, you know, two, you know, early 2000s. And I'm, you know, never played defense and I'm changing into, you know, quite a athletic linebacker who plays that game well. But all the other things that come along with that, that was that was not coached. It was it was you got the, all, the same rhetoric and it was very, very right. go do your job, do the work, show up, which is, you know, in some rights, OK. But in that right, in football with, within the lines, you've got to have a little bit more of a balance. So that's that's over in a, a decade ago where you're having the courage to pull yourself out versus go back in there. And just as we saw this NFL season with Tua Tagliavoa, you know, 
dude, he was hurt and went back and started again. And so maybe that is going to be a tipping point for people with injuries to take it more seriously on the football field. And we just need, I guess, a tipping point for people to uh, take their, their mental health and stuff more more seriously. And I guess that maybe is where something just as simple as the Canadian Men's Health Foundation MindFit Toolkit comes in. I, I, I took it before we had the chat today. It, w- it was similar to the test that my family doctor gave me. And it's just kind of like really simple questions. How you doing? How is that doing affecting what you're doing? And what do you think you can do about it? Dr. Chow, what do you think about these sort of toolkits? So I try to for myself. And I've learned to always be humble, especially as a doctor, always be humble. And I learned things about myself that I did that I didn't even know about myself. Right? I, I learned that, you know, I was worrying probably a little bit too much about certain things that I thought were health risks that turned out weren't, weren't as a weren't as big a deal in my personal situation. But that there were other things that were going on in my life that it's like, oh, wow, I should be paying attention to this. You know, this is telling me, you know, I have some risk factors here. And even as a medical professional, I hadn't realized that. So I'm, I'm actually a huge fan of this because I think they, uh, they put the power back into people's hands, right? Empowering people by giving them information about themselves, giving them some context about themselves, giving them some advice about what they can do to help themselves. Manage your stress, not the other way around. For simple ways to improve your mental health, check out the free MindFit Toolkit from the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Complete a self-assessment, access virtual counseling, and learn more about how anxiety, stress, or depression might be impacting your health. Go to menshealthfoundation.ca and access the MindFit Toolkit to start improving your mental wellness today. Shay, you realized that you needed to go out and speak to people and you needed to make a change when you had your, your injuries on the football field. But what, what was the, the thing that had you go and speak to a doc? Uh, my wife, right? And, and really... The women in our lives are so crucial on this. We don't look after ourselves. We need these nurturers. Yeah, we, uh, we've been separated for about three years now, but we have a great relationship. We just finished a family counseling session, which we do about once a month. But, uh, you know, that's where it all started was a conversation, a question. I told you, someone asked me, what do you like to do? What are you passionate about? And I had no answer and I didn't know what was next. And that was really frightening. And I'm, I wanted to figure that out. So what I did was whatever she told me, I was like, I gotta go see that. Okay. Talk to this person over here. Right. And, and I was also in the conversation with, some of the men's health networks in, in Vancouver and I had already been in the schools and working with health, mental health professionals. And so I realized like, I have to do this work on myself. Right. And I have, I don't have the answers and I don't know, I don't really know why I'm feeling this way. Uh, and I don't want to end up uh, with all due respect to those individuals. I don't want to end up like the hockey players or the junior. I, like I felt like I am those people. I am the enforcer, right? I am the meathead. I am the, guy that lifts heavy weights and smashes people for a living and i just didn't i i knew knew that i needed to make it through to the next phase of life to be happy and healthy because i had a kid coming soon you know i wanted a family and uh and that's really where uh what inspired uh, the the vulnerability and the openness so matt 
Shay's had this breakthrough. His wife has finally got through to him that he needs to go and get help. I don't do you open the yellow pages. What do you do in 2022 when you need to to talk to somebody? Well, you know, it's it's so different now. It used to be really, really tough to locate help, and it's it's getting getting so much better because now you know you can download apps, you know, that link you up with you know counseling resources. The the federal government, the provincial governments are funding you know mental health resources. The Men's Health Foundation, of course, is doing phenomenal work to drive up awareness about uh, about resources and and mental health and, and substance use and all sorts of things. So you know, it used to be that you know if you're a guy and you're needing help. You know, you had to overcome, you know, stigma, you had to overcome, you know, machismo, and then you had to go and find yourself a counselor in the yellow pages. Nowadays, you know, you can go on the internet, you can download an app, you can go to a government website, you know, Men's Health Foundation, you can go all sorts of places and locate all sorts of types of help. And that's the other thing, the, the type of help is a little bit different too, because it used to be like old school, you know, one-on-one counseling, you sit on a therapy couch. I mean, I don't know too many guys that that's the thing that they, you know, want to do you know, on, during their free time to sit on a couch talking about their feelings. But, you know, n- now now we're framing it a little bit different, right? We're talking about, hey, let's let's get you some coaching, right? Let's help you improve your life skills. Let's help you with your resiliency. Hey, let's, you know, I remember the RCMP, like ERT team, you know, like the SWAT team, they're like, let's do some tactical breathing exercises. <laughs> tactical breathing. Nice, nice. I already feel right? like awesome just thinking about that, right? And so, so it's not just like, old school, you know, therapy, right? Like there's all sorts of ways to help now. I like pedicures and I have a friend who didn't, but he said, I'd go for a sport pedicure. <laughs> it's kind of like, no, it's a have tactical a pedicure. It's got to be tactical. A tactical pedicure. Uh, Shay, how did, you were enthusiastic about everything Matt was saying there. How did, what's your take on it? Language is so important. You know, I hosted my first ever men's experience in 2012, 2013, I invited the entire football team. Five of them showed up. How many people play on a football team? 100? Yeah, 25, yeah. Right? Like, like there's got to be 100 dudes in the organization at any, to- any point in time. Five showed up. It was a yoga. Okay? I was like, yeah, come do yoga. We're going to have some healthy food, kombucha, what, you know? How'd that go over? Not very well. <laughs> and then I realized, and this is the outset of Wellman, I need to man it up a little bit. I need to Kansas City shuffle them. I need to trick them into the, having the conversation. So I called it Wellman, the Men's Adventure Club. And instead of using express your emotions, we used ventilate your human experience, you know, and continuous battles on language and verbiage and, and how to articulate, you know, the tactical approach, right? And uh, so that's what Wellman has served as for me. It was, it really got me into a different door with the gentleman that I was communicating with. And it also provided them with the opportunity to feel like I'm open to having the conversation. And that's a huge part of it is, is where is the open conversation? Where is the comfortable space? You know, and and like you said, there's so many, like I started this men's adventure club and I, I still felt the stigma and the guilt and the shame around, you know, having these conversations in in public and knew that that's what I was going to have to deal with. But now there's a men's group on every corner. You know, there's a men's podcast on every corner and there's so many great organizations and everyone has a different approach to that conversation. Everyone's, you know, might be breath work and, and yoga. It might be, you know, fitness and hiking. It might be, you know, and where I started was ax throwing and bonfires. And, (laughs) 
you know, so, right. Uh, whatever. Oh, and you know, being able to have that perspective from a toolkit like the MindFit tool co- kit is is so important because it might approach one individual one way, and that you know, all the other programs might be more approachable to someone else, right? I, I guess, Matt, like when, when I hear about language and stuff, and, and the people who are these alphas who are stuck in a rut and who aren't going to get help, and when you do brand it in a way that maybe reaches over the fence and says no no you can do it do this it's okay that's really who we need to reach is the people who aren't gonna want to participate in this 100 percent. i mean i'm a trained therapist and one of the things i learned when i was learning how to do therapy is you gotta reach people where they're at right and so that means you know understanding the language right using the appropriate language using the appropriate branding right reaching out to people meeting them at their level and, you know, there's there's folks out there, they're alpha males, you know, they're tough. And so you got to reach them where they're at, right? And so, you know, the softly, softly approach is not the right approach for, for folks. Um, and so as therapists, as doctors, as clinicians, we got to adapt. We got to adapt to these different situations. So we've, we're part of the solution, too, in, in changing how we help people, how we do therapy, how we even approach it. And, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, looking at things like branding and language are perfectly fair. In fact, they're essential to making this work for people. So let's talk about Wellman, Shay. This is your group to get guys outdoors throwing axes and uh, talking about their feelings around a bonfire. Is that a good summary? (laughs) Yeah, but even, even talking about their feelings, like I think, you know, we've gone away from that. You know, we we I've done probably 30 events across the country. And, you know, this is my transition out of football, trying to figure out what's next for me, wanting to, you know, build my network and and be a part of, you know, find my locker, right? Find my my language crew, my cohort. And, you know, really what it was was I want to take an action-based approach to 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 provide an activity to then have the conversation because when men are busy, they're not thinking about what the conformities. They're not thinking about what the stigma is. They're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm building this little deck or I'm, I'm building this bonfire. We're doing a, you know, an ax throwing experience. And this guy's talking over here about something. Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh yeah. I have that, that too. Right. And that's really what it turned into was uh, activities and adventures for dudes to connect. And, you know, I've been doing it for about, uh, almost nine years now. And it's, you know, basically turned into my full-time business. I have an axe throwing corporate event business where I get to either, you know, just go to a random yard. Uh, like we did a construction company or no, a trucking company last month. Randomly, I'm having conversations. This is who I am. This is what I do. I don't, I don't go at it with brash, emotional sure. intelligence. I'm really just there, dude, having a conversation. And, you know, communicating about who I am and what I what I love to do. Right, Matt, we would call these back in the day maybe icebreakers or team building events, and and you're just kind of when you take it away, you're you're doing it on a guy scale and just breaking down the breaking the ice to have more real conversations. Well, you know the the cool thing about what Shay's talking about is that this is why you know men's health and mental health is a two way street. So this is an example of actually where activities traditionally associated with men like bonfires and axe throwing this is actually having a positive impact on the science of mental health because it used to be that mental health treatment was a very passive thing 
right? You have book appointments, you go in to see a therapist, you sit down, you talk about it. It's very passive. But it turns out that there's a lot more to mental health than passive things like that. Turns out that getting your blood rushing, getting your heart rate up, right? Getting involved in strenuous physical activity is excellent, excellent for your mental health, essential for your mental health. And so, you know, Shay, you might not realize it, but, you know, throwing that axe is actually doing some really neat things inside your brain, you know, in terms of like actually promoting the healthy rejuvenation of your mind, of, 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 of your brain. And so this is, this is the two-way street, right? We're, we've been talking about how to convince men to get more involved in and, and, and trying to help with their mental health. Well, here's how men's activities, traditional men's activities, can go the other way around and actually impact on the entire science of mental health and make the science you know, better you know, more powerful for, for everyone, no, no matter what their agenda. Plot twist. I mean, I was, I was just thinking about this whole thing is like, how are we going to get guys on couches and, and talking to somebody for an hour? But really it just is about getting your heart pumping, getting off the couch, stopping scrolling and being around other people who maybe you find out through an accident, just a random conversation, they're going through the same crap as you. Yeah. You're up on a hike and you're like, you know the oxygen's super thin and you're like just like your heart rate is like pumping and then you suddenly have an epiphany right and you're talking to the guy next to you and then you 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 reveal some vulnerability there on the top of a mountain i'm all for that you know that's actually a very natural way for people to to engage um and so we're talking a lot more about like getting people active getting people moving getting people doing you know, using their bodies in the way that bodies are meant to be used, which is to be used hard, you know, not excessively hard. You know, we don't want people getting like serious head injuries, right? But but our bodies are meant to be to be used, right? We are meant to have to go through recovery cycles, you know, when we break down our muscle and our and our bodies rebuild it again. It's it's actually almost like magic. But that that it turns out actually promotes our mental health too. Because when we're sitting around being sedentary, scrolling on our phones all the time our mental health actually deteriorates. It's the stuff on the, it's the stuff from the internet that makes our mental health deteriorate, but it's also just the action of just sitting around. Turns out is, is profoundly uh, negative for, for our health. And that's why getting a dog was great for me. I don't know if you guys have pets, but that 45 minute break twice a day, leave the phone at home. I'm in the trees. All of a sudden I'm talking to my neighbors. I'm having, you know, it's, it's like when you first have kids and you go to the playground and you're just kind of forced to talk to to other people. And and the other thing about those conversations is if you offer yourself up to be the one who's vulnerable, I find other people reciprocate it. And when I was going through some of my struggles and I was like, I'm thinking about seeing somebody, all of a sudden my boss at work is like, oh, uh, I go and see blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've been doing this for two years. And it's like a lot of people who are are good at looking after themselves maybe aren't as open about sharing it with others. But if you're vulnerable and you need help, asking other people is really going to all of a sudden kick out doors and all of a sudden you find everybody's going through the similar stuff. I think that is such an amazing point. The, you know, there's the phone conversation, the media that we take in, you know, our, our social connections are huge. You know, the five company you keep rule what have you. And, and that's really where, you know, we talked about like the, the playground, you know, where you go, at the, you can't, you can't be on your phone at the playground when your kids are playing and, no. and there's another there. You're like, well, you're a jerk. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I'm just, 
right, you're sitting here. Someone's got to watch the kids. Like we got to watch and we got to talk. Like we're being forced to sit on the couch, right? And uh, the other thing was really about kind of being a gatekeeper, you know, and and opening the stage. And so the conversation around Wellman was really, I was the the gatekeeper. I was like, yeah, we're doing this cool thing, da da da, and I'm being open and I'm opening the room. And I'm opening it in a way that I, I feel is going to be the proper language. And I don't at all want to stand up there or in these conversations and say, like, I have any of the answers. I'm literally just talking about what I've been through and how I've been struggling or how I am struggling. Then that's where that, you know, that waterfall of conversation and emotion just naturally comes out. And that's what's needed is more, more waterfalls, right? What do you think about that act of being vulnerable, Matt? As a doctor, I'm seeing more and more men and boys reaching out to get help because of people like Shay. Because they see them on TV, they hear them in a podcast, and they hear like, hey, a big, strong guy like that can be vulnerable. So can I. So that's huge for me as a doctor. And then, you know, when I was serving as president of Doctors of BC, I, I made the choice to share my own professional vulnerability. You know, I talked about the times I've had burnout. I talked about the times I've had therapy, had had counseling. And I got so much positive feedback from from the members, from from my fellow doctors saying that, you know, it was so great that their leader was talking about their vulnerability. But at the same time, I was still doing a great job as president, right? I was showing that, hey, I can be capable. I can show up, right? Being vulnerable doesn't mean you're not capable. Some of the strongest, most powerful, most influential people I've ever met in my life are also people that have had vulnerability in their life. These are not mutually exclusive things. So, so yeah, I think I think it's a it's a huge deal for people like Shay, you, Buzz, you know, people that, like myself that have had the privilege of occupying leadership positions to to get out there and show the world that hey, you can be a powerful, strong, capable person and a vulnerable person. We've talked about a a bunch of different things in this chat, you know, about changing the language that we use around it to make it okay for people who are too tough for this to do. Uh, We've talked about just getting out and being active and how that can help your mental health just get on track. And we've talked a little bit about some people choose medication or some some people talk to somebody. But I don't know if we've really what, what is the difference between counseling and therapy? You know what? So this is where we get kind of tripped up with the different words we use because they're actually very similar things, right? Counseling, you know, I've, I've, you know, I'll describe to people that I've had counseling is basically the act of walking through and talking through people's people's feelings and, and problems, or right? talking through their their mental state. And therapy, likewise, is a, is 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 the same thing, you know, although it has a kind of more clinical connotation to it. You know, to to me, it's it's funny as a doctor. I I don't really care what words we use because what I what I think matters is the outcome. It, what matters is is what you get get from it, not what the formal words that we use. And I think that we've tripped up men for for a long time because we've used like really specific but also confusing words like counseling, therapy, talking therapy, psychotherapy, you know, coaching, life coach. Like what what is all that? Like that, that's a lot of words to describe very similar similar things, but they're all. You know, the, the central central tenant of, of all of these things, it's about taking what's inside your headspace, right? Taking that's all that suffering and angst inside your headspace and revealing it to another person who can bounce these ideas off you, can help you see your blind spots, and, and ultimately help you get to a better outcome and, and to, to be the best possible you. 
what was that first session for you like, Shay, when when you went in for counseling, therapy, coaching, talking with somebody? What was that like? Really scary. Really, really uh, vulnerable. You know, knowing that I'm going to be vulnerable, knowing that I have the, the thoughts and the, and the words to use. Not that I'm just trying to sit down on a couch. Like I was that at that point where when I went to go see someone, I knew you know, suicidal thoughts had gone through my head. I had been, you know, going through depression. I had had these really negative experiences and, and I just trying to like, I want to like, how do I get better? You know? And then I started to continue to go and it got easier (laughs) and I got stronger. My, you mentioned my TEDx talk earlier. That was the first time that I had used the word abuse opposed to bullying, right? Language is important. And when I, I'm standing in front of, you know, a thousand people, I don't know any of them. I'm in LA, but I knew that this was going to be promoted and I'm going to promote it and I'm going to put it out on all my networks. And, and I, I want people to hear me say that word. And then fast forward five years later, I'm doing, to call it 25 speaking gigs a year. And I'm throwing it out there, got no big deal, super calm, super confident. I'm not, my armpits aren't sweating profusely. Easier and easier and easier. And it's like, you know, the the, the, the cliche, like you just got to take that first step. And and I think it comes back to, you know, that, that first action should be action, should be movement, should be breath, should be, you know, fitness or, or something that, you, you know, you know, makes you feel good. And, you know, that's where you feel more at ease and, 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 and so that first session was really the catalyst to uh, so many more and, uh, you know, so many more conversations in public as well. Virtual care has been a game changer in mental health because it used to be that, you, you know, you had to pull out the yellow pages and find a therapist and then you had to go drive across town. You know, if you're lucky enough to even live in a place that had therapists, right, you know, because a lot of, lot of folks live in rural and remote areas, but virtual care you know, which has been hugely popularized during the pandemic is, has been a game changer because now getting help is as easy as downloading an app to your phone, right? Or firing up your computer. And now you can see a therapist that could be on the other side of the country from you and can follow you wherever you go. Because, you know, a lot of guys travel, you know, for their work. That's, you know, that's life, right? And it used to be that, hey, when, when you're traveling, you lose touch with your, your therapist, which is could be pretty harsh. But now with virtual care, that person can be with you, you know, wherever you are, meet you where uh, where, where you're at. Um, and, it, and it reduces the stigma because you're not having to go to like, you know, a doctor's office or a mental health clinic, you know, and have to explain to people why you're there. You, you can just doing, the, doing this from the comfort of your home or I've even seen patients that are joining me from their car, you know, in the middle of a workday, they go out to the parking lot, get in their car and do their therapy. And that's great. I think we're, we're, finally shifting the conversation around men's mental health and making a huge, huge difference now with, with campaigns like this. You know, talking about mental health, not this huge mountain, this huge insurmountable thing and turning it into like, hey, it's talking about basic small steps that you can take, really pragmatic steps that people can take to help themselves, help their loved ones today, you know, this hour. Right, making making it so that it isn't this uh, climbing Mount Everest type of experience, which it has been, especially for you know for for other folks that have led you know in this field that have been brave and been been vulnerable. It you know the sweat and armpits that that Shay was talking about before, like that has been the experience for a lot of people that have had the courage to be vulnerable 
and don't change much is about making it, hey, no, this is what everyday folks can do to help themselves, help their loved ones, help the men in their lives. And I mean, it's like, I remember in my own sort of counseling therapy experience, the, the first step for me was first admitting that I had a problem, right? And, and my partner really helped me along to help point that out to me because it was a big blind spot in my life. And then the next step, which was seemed such a big deal at that time, especially as a, as a medical person was, you know, just reaching out to find out what help was out there. I was so scared to even take that step, you know, thinking about what people would think about me. In, in retrospect, it looks like it wasn't that big of a deal. But in the, at the time, it was like this huge thing. And then the next step and the next step and the next step, and it got easier and easier and easier. Shay, what does uh, don't change much mean to you? Don't change much is, is a very simple, explicit. It's small steps, small little actions. Taking the first one is obviously the most important. And I've just been so fortunate to have this consistently in my life for the last you know, nine, ten years, uh, reiterating that it just takes small changes in your life to make a longer change over time and a larger change over time, sorry. You know, that's what it means. It's just take those small steps and, and keep cranking. Matthew, Shay, thanks for taking some time today. Thanks for being vulnerable and thanks for uh, helping us take those first steps. I hope everybody can realize that healthy men make healthy families and that leads to a healthy community. If you think you need help, with your mental health, take the MindFit Toolkit. It's barrier-free. It's a stress and anxiety resource. The Canadian Men's Health Foundation puts it out. All three of us have done it, and you can do it too to get the help you need. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Appreciate it. 